This is a Discovery Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we invite you to find yourself in the bigger story. To find out more about what's going on in the life of the church, head to discoverychurch.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Welcome to everyone joining us online and those listening on the podcast as well. Um, number of years ago now, Jody and I took our two little kids, they were four and two, on an adventure throughout Southeast Asia. We were visiting some friends who were doing missionary work over there, and we decided to tack on a little bit of a holiday as well while we were there. Now, of course, when you're traveling around, the best, um, the, your best friend is the internet because you can find everything that you need and you can find out where you're going. And we found this beautiful place to stay in this beautiful coastal region over there. And the photos, this is like beach huts, like little thatched huts right on the water, white sand, absolutely gorgeous. And so we were really excited about that. The photos looked incredible. Incredible. This is going to be the best week of our lives, right? And so we'd had, a, you know, it was a long trip as well, maybe three or four weeks in by now. And we finally arrived to this place and the taxi pulled up and we got out and, you know, we didn't travel light. When you've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, there isn't such a thing as traveling light. There isn't such a thing as carry-on only. So it is, you know, it is full on. And the taxi guy let us out and he said, it's down that way. And so we started walking. And then we kept walking, and we kept walking. 25 minutes later, we made it to the beach huts, to these little thatched places. And as we walked through, we got closer and closer, and there was just broken glass, beer bottles all over the ground. Um, there were um, backpackers walking around everywhere, carrying um, plastic cups with blue drinks in them. And we went to sleep that night, and the music stopped, I think, at 3 a.m., and we woke up the next morning, and there were people falling over, lying down all over the ground. Perfect. This is reality, right? This is reality. Now, had it have been 15 years earlier, I might have had a good time. But with a, you know, but with a four-year-old and a two-year-old walking around expecting this amazing, beautiful, pristine, calm, quiet, gorgeous, resort-style holiday, we stayed that one night. And we moved on. We walked our 25 minutes back to the, to the taxi, got back in, and never returned, right? But have you ever had that experience? I think this must be one of the most common things that you read on review websites when it comes to um, anything that you've got online, you know, where you see the, the photos didn't match with what it was when we got there. The room was dirtier than it looked. The view wasn't like that. And so we are constantly living in a tension between our expectations and reality. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, maybe it, wasn't a, maybe it wasn't a hotel. Maybe it was a restaurant that you went to. And somebody said to you, you have to go. It is absolutely incredible. And then you get there and you were underwhelmed because it didn't 
quite match up. Maybe it was a person. You know, you met somebody online, and then you turned up and you arrived, and there it's, you know, the expectation is very different to the reality. There's a whole word for that. Catfishing is a whole thing where somebody does that on purpose, right? They pretend to be someone else online, and then the person turns up and you meet them, and you think, oh my gosh, that is not what I thought the person that I was talking to when I met them. But this is what happens all the time. The gap between our expectations and reality. People say it of Tom Cruise, he's so much shorter in person. I expected Maverick to be a giant, and he's actually really, really short. See, the closer you get to something, the more imperfections you see. Anybody who has been married for two minutes knows this. <laughs> two minutes is all you need to realize that the closer you get to something or someone, the more imperfections you see. From a distance, they look like a knight in shining armor, and then you get close and you see all the chinks in that armor. From a distance, she seems like a beautiful, perfect bride, and you get close and you see some of the blemishes. Oh, my gosh. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard happens. Heard that happens. Just some people. It's just what happens. But I think we could apply this same level of disillusionment to higher things. Jobs, workplaces. You've applied for a job that promised more than it delivered. You've been for, in a workplace that ever promised more than it delivered. You've been to a church ooh, ooh, that promised more than it delivered. They said it was awesome, but they were real ratbags. They were jerks. You know, that was terrible. What a bad experience. Everyone was, no one was friendly. Everyone sneered at me as I walked in. We can apply these higher, um, these principles of disillusionment, the, the expectation versus the reality, maybe even to our own spiritual walk, our own journey in faith. Maybe this whole God thing promised so much and yet it feels like it's coming up short time and time again. Because the closer you get, the more imperfections you see. Same with us. Same with this community. This is this verse in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. What does this mean? Well, if you were a farmer and you had an entire field to have to harvest and plow, you need, some, you, need, you need horsepower, oxen power, to make that happen. But of course, if you have ox, that gives you another problem, which is you have to clean the stalls. Guys, living things are messy. Living things are really, really messy. Now... If you don't want the mess, all good, just don't have the crops. But somewhere along the way, we have to choose. Do you want growth with the mess? Or do we want nothing at all? 
So the church is called many things in scripture. It's been called a building. It gets called a house. We get called a temple. We get called an army. We get called a field. We even get called a bride, guys. Now that's pretty good. But there's, one other, there's another thing that, that Jesus calls the church, calls his people. He calls them sheep. Sheep. Sounds nice. Have you ever met one? Honestly, have you ever met a sheep? Just one, two, a group of them. Smelly, messy, dirty, pretty dumb. I'm speaking about myself, guys. Relax, relax. Maybe the issue is wrong. Maybe I have an expectation of what my sheep what I'm like, you know. But church life gets messy because she's made up of beautiful oxen like you and I. And it's through the church where things do get messy, but it's also where the abundant crops come from. We have to choose You can have abundant crops with mess, or you can have a clean stall, and you can have nothing. So the title of today's message is, Bless This Mess. Bless This Mess. I know some people like this hanging up over the kitchen in their house. But this is a little love note to the church. Because the thing that I really, really love about Scripture and the thing that I love about the Bible is that it doesn't protect us from the realities of what's going on in life. It doesn't censor any of the rude bits. All the rude bits, guys, are still in there. Last time you checked, I don't know how long ago it was, but guess what? All those bits, they're still in there, right? All the unsavory bits are all still in there. All the blemishes, all the dark spots, all the beer bottles over the ground, yeah, it's all in there. So in a sense, when we read Scripture, the the manger, the stalls, they're not that clean. But what we also find is the abundant crops, the abundant harvest, the big joy that comes through these passages. Remember that uh, phrase, keep it real? It's It's a bit old school now, you know? Keep it real, keeping it real. Yo, mom, keep it real. Yo, bro, keep it real. Anyone ever say that? Challenge this week, use keep it real in a sentence, go for it. Say it to your barista. Thanks, man, keep it real. Just do that. See what they do. See how they do, and then just turn around. See what happens. I dare someone to try it. Please, please just do that. Tag me. Tag me when you, when you, when you post the video. <laughs> Keep it real. Luke has been keeping it real. The Dr. Luke 
has been keeping it real since AD, AD, AD 69. He has kept this real the entire way through. Listen to what uh, Genf says. Luke does not present pure propaganda about an ideal church. There were needs in the church, and although those needs were met through the sharing of the community, even this sharing was not without its problems. So Luke himself, the good doctor, does not teach us, is not trying to write a treatise on the perfect model community. And yet a lot of times when we think about the church and if we think about the Bible and we think about the book of Acts, we think to ourselves, oh, we put on the rose-colored glasses and go, oh, to be alive in that time. Oh my gosh, it just would have, that church was perfect. You know what? That's the blueprint for the church today, is it? Okay, let's have a look because we're going to dive in and check out the blueprint for the church today if that's what we think we should be following. Ready? Ready? No. Ready? Ready. We're going to have a look through at this, some of these stories. He shows us the mess. Luke shows us the mess and he shows us the blessing as well. First passage, Acts chapter 4. We're going to ease our way in with a few different passages today. As they were speaking to the people, the, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them, put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Many of those who had heard the word, though, believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Okay, so here we have a passage about some theological differences. What had happened is that at, uh, Peter and John are walking into the temple. They were believers in Jesus, but temple worship, the like, Jewish temple worship, was still part of what they were doing. They were walking towards the temple. There was a man crippled from birth. They say he was about 40 years old. He was begging at the temple gate. Great spot to beg because everybody's, you know, got like their kind of, you know, like, what, like you guys when you come into church, you know, you're feeling all excited and generous and lovely and fighting with the kids and fighting with everyone. And you're feeling lovely and generous and beautiful as you make your way into the, the gathering, the meeting of the Lord's people. And as you come in, oh, there's, there's this man there and he's begging. He's been, he's been crippled from birth. And so he says, he looks towards them and they look back at him. And he holds up his, his container, and they say, we don't have any gold or silver, but what we have, we're going to give you. And they take him by the right hand, and they lift him up. His feet and his ankles get strong, and he gets up, he stands, then he walks, and then he jumps, and he realizes, oh my gosh, now I can walk into the temple before I only had to be outside. Because if you're crippled or you've got some, like, like a condition, you can't walk in. You're unclean. You can't go into the temple. And yet this man now is healed. 40 years he's been crippled. Now he walks into the temple. And of course, everyone knows this guy. Oh, that's that guy. He begs out the front. They're all running around. People come over. They make a big scene. Everyone's well, kind of crazily in the temple now. They're watching this guy who's been healed. He's jumping around. He's clinging on to Peter and John. He's holding on. He can't believe it. And so Peter, he's not going to let this opportunity go. 
and he starts to open his mouth and tell them, this is actually, this is an ass who did this. This is the resurrected Lord Jesus who's done this. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit, and it's by the Holy Spirit, it's by Jesus' resurrection that has healed this man. The temple, the chief priests and the, the Sadducees, the Sadducees, they don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe that people can be resurrected. And so John and Peter, they're talking heresy in the temple. They're telling people that, that Jesus was resurrected, that he died and that he came back to life. This cannot be. And so they take them and put them into custody. They lock them up in prison overnight because it was the afternoon. And they were, you know, they just, we just need to, let's just put them in jail and we'll figure out what to do tomorrow. And this is just the start. Acts chapter 4, and someone's in prison already. Gee, these Christians are troublemakers, my gosh. It's taken us three chapters, and we're already in prison now. What are we going to do? Well, we're told that even in the midst of the Sadducees who lost sight of the mission of God, and we're stuck in an old model. We're told that many who heard the word believed. That's the blessing in this story. The blessing is that many who heard the word believed. So we have the mess in the stall. They're in jail. But the abundant crops is that the church grew to 5,000 men plus women and children. So question today. Have we lost sight of our mission Retained only a focus on our model and our methods. We can get a bit like the Sadducees, can't we? This can't be. This can't be right. Lock it down. Have I forgotten the why of my faith? To only focus on the what and the how? You've forgotten why we believe? I need to focus on what I do and how I do it. And where has my anger been a justification for my bad behavior? Next passage, Acts 5. So we're going 4, 5, and 6. This is number 5. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. So this is, let's ratchet it. We're going to go up a level now. Sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. And then we move a few verses later. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they carried out the sick in the streets, laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. What is happening here? 
Well, the church was gathering together and they were helping everyone who had need. You know, because since at Pentecost, when, people, when the Holy Spirit came to the church and everyone was gathered together and people became Christians, a lot of them couldn't go home. Some of them even lost their jobs, lost their income, lost their livelihood on account of the name of Jesus. And so what the church did was they thought, let's all pool our resources. We're going to put all of our cash in the middle and then the apostles are going to distribute it out to everyone who had need. So if you lost your job, you're going to make it. If you've lost some kind of income, we're going to help your family as well. There was a guy named Barnabas who sold a big piece of land and he came and laid the entire amount for the land at the apostles' feet as a a sign. I'm going to give this to you and you guys use it however you see fit. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, married couple, they're keeping up with the Joneses. They look over and see Barnabas give this huge big offering. And they think, oh, he got a bit of love out of that. See the way that his value, his stock just rose in the community? Let's do the same. They went and sold a piece of land. And then they came and gave the money, the proceeds to the apostles, except not all of it. They said, oh, look how much we sold it for. Look how amazing we are. Look how generous we are. This is, promise you, this is what we got for the land. Everyone's thinking, man, you got ripped off. No, 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 this is it. This is everything that we got. And they kept some back for themselves. And Peter sees through the scheme. He sees through the scheme and says, hold on a second. Is that really what you sold it for? Oh, yeah. Generous one, we're the most generous ones here, probably even more generous than Barnabas, probably. Don't know. But yeah. <laughs> At least as, if not a bit more. <laughs> he sees through it. And this reminds us of Achan's sin in Joshua 7, where the, where the people come up against Jericho and Achan hides the plunder in his, in his tent. And Peter sees through it and pronounces judgment on this guy. And the guy dies, falls over and dies. And then these young men come up and that word wrap him, it's like, it's it's used like a sailor wraps up a sail. They wrap him up as though he's got no air left in him. And then they carry him out. Who still wants to be a New Testament church? When you lie in the community and you fall over and die straight away. This is the blueprint, guys. Who wants to be in? But it's amazing, right, what happens here. The story, though, then goes on. They meet, the next time they meet together in the temple, everybody's heard about it. They are, like, freaking out, but in a good way. You know, that awe-inspiring, oh, my gosh, freaking out, kind of, like, laughing, crying, scared, amazed, excited, all at once kind of emotion. That's what's going on here. The word gets around, and people are being healed by even Peter's shadow. There is a mess. It is a mess. But there is huge, huge blessing all at the same time. So, where does my desire for a good reputation, has that ever caused me to overcommit? Well, I want... I want people to think that I'm, you know, capable and good and generous. Have I ever overcommitted because of that? Is there an area of my life, my faith, where I'm pretending to be better than I am? 
Are there safe people in my world who I can truly be myself? Next story, Act 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint for this duty. And the story goes on in verse 7 to say, The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so the church in Jerusalem, there's, because of Pentecost, there's been a lot of people traveling from many lands, right? Many, many different places. Some of them have even just stayed on in Jerusalem after a long time of being there. And so now you've got two classes of people inside of the church. There are the pure bloods, the Hebrew speakers, the ones who've inherited the stories, the history, who've come to faith in Jesus, but they've still got that beautiful, illustrious Jewish background. And then you've got, this, you've got the Greek speakers who've come in and they've moved in and they've gone, yeah, this is for us too. Jesus has saved everyone. And we also, we, also, um, we can assent to the, the history of the Jews, but we're not from here. We're not from here, mate. We're from somewhere else, and we speak a different language, and now you've got two classes of people in the same church, and what is happening is the Greek speakers, the second raiders, are their, their widows are being overlooked in the distribution of the food that's going around as they're trying to help those who are poor and needy. And they kick up a stink about it. Imagine that. Arguing in church never happened. Has never happened. I mean... I, would, I, I don't like AGMs very much at all, but can you imagine going to this one? <laughs> no good. No good, right? And they are carrying on, going back and forth, pushing and shoving, and our, our widows are being overlooked, and no, but that's because you don't really, you don't speak our language, man, and they're going back and forth like this. But what happens? Someone has a spirit-inspired idea and says, let's appoint seven. And they have to be good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they're going to distribute the food and the money. Waiting on tables feels like it's not, when we read that, we go, oh, they're a waiter. That's not what it is. It's a management role. Waiting on tables here could mean a dining table, but it can also, the same word is used for money-changing tables. So they enlist seven men to wait on tables to oversee the distribution of food and finances. And guess what? All seven of them, Greek names. Greek names. So they invited those who were feeling overlooked to be part of the solution process. So it's messy. It's a mess. But then there's so much blessing here because we're told the word of God continues to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly and even many Jewish priests came to faith. The hardened, rusted on priests even came to faith in Jesus. So 
Who are the second-class citizens in the church? Who are they in our church? Whose voices have we silenced that we need to listen to? And how might I contribute to the solution of the problems that I see? One final scripture which we're going to use as we close. Acts 8, verse 1 to 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there on that day arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was much joy in that city. Guys, this is the kind of mess that God blesses. Only Jesus could tell a story that begins with execution and ends with a city full of joy. The whole, this entire passage is, begins with horror. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is killed. He was innocent, and yet they kill him. They break the law themselves in order to drag him out of the city and kill him. And yet these words that echo back time and time and time again, as we're told here in verse 2, um, that, oh, in verse 1, they were scattered all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, which echoes what Jesus said to them. Remember, uh, my Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to see power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is all part of it. God can take an execution and turn it into a part of his plan. He can take something horrible happening, something so messy, and convert that to be salvation for Judea, for Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's a mess. This is a mess. You look at this and think this is not the way to start. This is not the way to begin. This is not the, for kind of the, the, the way that any church planter wants to start their new community. Nope. Not all these problems. I mean, we don't mind all of the added number, added number, added. Let's, you know, like, yay. But all of this other, the mess? No. We need, we got out, you know, we can, you can't have one without the other. That's what I'm saying. Maybe this should be the blueprint, you know? Maybe the ancients were right. Maybe this is the blueprint for our church. And in that way, by it, as a leader, I fall very, very short. 
But I think if we can accept some mess, we will start to see the kind of things that God will bless. The cleaner that we try and be, the more barren we will be as well. Four thoughts to close and then, well, actually, team, did you want to come up now as we close? Firstly, we hold to timeless precepts, but we adapt our methods. As a church community, we will always, 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 always be about Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Always. We will always be about Jesus, the Son of God who came, who, who, who lived a sinless life, died a criminal's death and rose again to new life to lead captives like you and I in his train into an everlasting kingdom that starts now. We will always be on about that. From now to the end of time. But the way that we express that and the way that we communicate that and the way that that looks in any community will continue to adapt and change based on the culture that we are speaking to. Because our language changes, because the language out there changes. We will hold to timeless precepts, but we will adapt our methods. Secondly, we will hold ourselves to a higher standard we will hold ourselves to a higher standard. This is the reason why we are so intent on making things like our child safety standards, for example, something that is above and beyond what else is going on out there because we need this place to be a safe place for everybody, especially kids. And if we can't live and hold ourselves to a higher standard, then what are we doing? We will hold ourselves to a higher standard. We will have accountable conversations with grace and with love. But as it was in Acts chapter 5, there is a time when God says, no more, that's enough. I've had enough of the two-faced stuff. I've had enough of saying you're one thing and you're being something else. We don't just critique, but we contribute. It's so easy. For, you know, it's one thing for the, the Greeks in, at, in chapter 6 to start shouting and barking because you know, their people were being overlooked in the distribution of food. It's another thing entirely to be part of the solution. I want to invite you to be part of the solution. Be part of contributing to actually help those things that we, need, that we need help in. And there are so many areas where we need help. And we don't walk alone, but we'll run together. This one phrase keeps coming back in Acts here. They were all of one accord. They were 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 running together. This is not an individual sport. This is a team sport. And we're called to run together. And I know.
oh, it's going to be messy. It continues to be messy. And of course, the closer you get, the more imperfections you see. And the expectation doesn't always meet up with the reality. But I think what we see when we, when we listen to Luke in here is that this is reality. And so this should be our expectation. And so I want to invite each of us to think through some of those questions to search our own hearts and then join together on the journey as God, as God continues to move us forward and take us from death to a joy-filled city. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we want to thank you that you see um, all of us. You see the joys, the enthusiasms, the, the pain and the grief. And Lord, we, we don't want to run from those things. Or Lord, I'm sorry for the times where we felt like we've had to hide what's really going on in order to be connected with God's people. God, that we would surrender that, that I would surrender my pride, that I would come in humility. And accept that there are things in my own life that are outside of my control and things that are messy. But Lord God, know that as we move through those with you, that you would bring a blessing. Jesus, we thank you, not just for your example or that you would model that, but Lord, in in your death and resurrection, that you would in fact empower and make the way for us to follow after you. And so Jesus, I pray you would bless this mess today. Thanks for joining us on this Discovery Church podcast. Now go and find yourself in the bigger story.